0: On Local Now Channel 525. Now it's time to think and discern. This is Bob Bernie Live. Okay, okay, I admitted I lied. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to, but I lied. Well,. Not really. I just said something that was untrue, but at the time I said it, I didn't know it was untrue. Well, I forgot that it was untrue. Are you thoroughly confused? Because I am. So at least we're confused together. Hey, one thing I'm not confused about, it's the 5 o'clock hour of Bob Bernie Live on a very cold, wintry January 7th afternoon, and I welcome you. What did I lie about? Well in the last hour I think it was at the bottom of the hour 4:30 I said all right I'm done I'm finished with January 6th I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything else about January 6th Well you see I forgot something I do have something else in my stack of stories here about January 6th and I fully intended to tell you about it at 5 o'clock. And I forgot. Well, but it's not about January 6th here in the United States. No, 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 no. But it is about January 6th. And I love this story, and I would forgotten about it. And I wish I would have remembered yesterday, but I didn't. This is a story about January 6th, 1850 it's a story that changed the world now a year ago on january 6th it had great political impact but it didn't change the world but this story january 6th 1850 changed the world because that is the day that charles haddon spurgeon accepted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. It was January 6th, 1850. You probably wouldn't be around me long before you realize that I love C.H. Spurgeon. He's my hero. Uh, During all the years that I was pastoring, I had a pastor. And his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was my pastor. I read his sermons. One of my great goals was to put together the entire Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit series. That's all of the sermons that he preached in print while he was pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. And uh, I think I got all of them but five. I never got those last five, but I have all the rest of them. And I used to read... One of his sermons, at least one a week, sometimes two or three, a week. He was literally my pastor. and C. H. Spurgeon changed the world. By the time he was by the time he was twenty five years old, he was preaching to the largest crowds of anyone on planet Earth. By the time he was thirty, he was pastoring the largest church in the world. By the time he was in his late 20s, he was on a regular basis preaching to 10,000 people or more outside without any electrical amplification. Can you imagine the voice that he had? Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish that we had recording devices when C.H. Spurgeon was alive. I would, I would love to hear just one of his sermons. Let me read you the story as recounted by Spurgeon himself. January 6th, 1850, 15 year old Charles Spurgeon was trudging up Hythe Hill in Colchester on his way to church. A blizzard prevented him from going further to his usual church. He turned the corner and made his way into a small primitive Methodist church on Artillery Street. And he said this, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was going to a place of worship. When I could go no further, I turned down a court and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there might be a dozen or maybe 15 people. The minister did not come that morning because of the snow, I suppose. A poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason he had nothing else to say. The text was, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, Isaiah forty-five twenty-two. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in the text. He began thus. My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, that does not take a deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger, it's just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look, a child can look. But this is what the text says. Then it says, look unto me. Aye, many of you are looking to yourselves. No use looking there, you'll never find comfort in yourselves. Then the good man followed up on his text in this way. Look unto me, I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look, look, look to me. When he had to go about that length and managed to spin out ten minutes, he was at the length of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. He then said, Young man, you look miserable. Well, I did. But I had not been accustomed to have remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, And you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Spurgeon then says, there and then, The cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun, and I could have arisen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them, of the precious blood of Christ. That day, I gave my heart to Christ. I love that story. Spurgeon said he didn't even know what this man did. He was not the pastor. He was not the preacher. He was not appointed to preach that morning. The preacher couldn't get there because of the blizzard. And he had one text, and in less than 10 minutes, he preached his text. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Spurgeon recounted that story hundreds of times during his life. God used that humble old man. We don't even know what his profession was. Didn't speak the king's English, but the Spirit of God used him to touch the man who became known as the prince of preachers. Never underestimate the gospel. Never underestimate the power of God's saving grace. Who knows? That person you tell about Jesus could become the next C.H. Spurgeon. That was January 6th, 160 some years ago. January 6th, 1850. Changed the world. Seriously. today's news God's word and your thoughts this is Bob Bernie live hey just a uh, just a quick program note um, we got a really hot US Senate race here in the state of Ohio. Uh that's not news. All of you all of you knew that. It is a hotly contested race. And to be honest, um we have some good candidates. I have not endorsed anyone, and I don't know that I will endorse anyone, but we've got some good candidates. We got some pretty bad ones as well. Said so all that to say this. One of the candidates, J.D. Vance, will be with me Monday at 4 p.m. How come you're giving J.D. Vance so much time? This is like the third time he's been on your program. Well, because he's the only one that keeps asking to come on. I have gotten the word out to the other candidates, hey, uh, you want to come on my program, talk to my listeners? let me know. I'll uh, I'll find time for you. I'll make time for you. Uh, so I've gotten the word out to the other campaigns, and this is, I, hey, I'm not endorsing J.D. Vance. All I'm doing is telling you the truth. Now, does this make him a better candidate? I didn't say that. I Again, I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, he's the one. I I have never reached out to J D. Vance and said, "Would you please be on my program, please, please, please." Never. Uh, he has reached out to me. Hey, I'd like to talk to your listeners. Uh, can you find time for me on the program? Sure. Um, I I have kind of an open door policy for politicians. If you're willing to come on this program and answer honest questions. You've you've got an open-door invitation. Um, I love it when politicians want to speak to you, because it's not about me. J.D. Vance or none of the other politicians want to talk to me. They want to talk to you. And so anyway, uh, J.D. Vance. At least that's the plan. This is live radio, and the interview will be live on Monday uh, at 4 p.m. on Monday. The plan is for uh, J.D. Vance, um, author of Hillbilly Elegy, um, and candidate for U.S. Senate will be uh, on my program. I love to report good news, and this is a follow-up from a story that I shared with you yesterday. Out of 784 Christian-affiliated colleges and universities, 103 were found by a student pro-life group to have direct ties to Planned Parenthood. Out of 784, 103 universities that would call themselves Christian have direct ties to Planned Parenthood. I reported that to you yesterday. Well, today... The same organization, Students for Life of America, are reporting that since they began this campaign of contacting Christian universities and colleges and asking them, are you affiliated with Planned Parenthood or other pro-abortion groups? And if so, they have done their best to talk them out of it. Well, they are reporting today that out of the 103 Christian universities with ties to Planned Parenthood, 34 of them have changed course and said, no more. 34 of the 103 have promised Students for Life of America, we are done with Planned Parenthood, and uh, we're going to sever all relations with them. Good for them. That is good news. Now, before the break, this is bad news. And I want, to, I want to deal with this gently. I keep telling you the liberal left destroys everything they touch. That's why in major cities across America, those that are under the control of the liberal left have the highest crime rates, highest homicide. And that's a fact. I mean, it is. Check it out for yourself. The liberal left destroys everything they touch, including cities. Well, Seattle is considered to be one of the farthest left cities in America. Brand new report from the Seattle Times. This is not a conservative publication. This is the Seattle Times. They did a little bit of research on mental health across America and they found that the city of Seattle ranks, quote, as the most medicated major metro area for mental health in America. They looked at U.S. Census Bureau records, and Seattle ranks number one in America as the most medicated major metro area for mental health. Now, I'm going to make, make it very clear. I am not making light of mental health. It's a very serious problem. And Christians often need mental health care. So I'm not diminishing that, and I hope you understand that. But I don't believe that it's any accident that one of the farthest left cities in America has the biggest problem with mental health. Number one. One in the country. In fact, according to the research by the Seattle Times, 21% of the entire adult population of Seattle are taking medication for mental health. 21%. Wow. People in Seattle, and by the way, Seattle is a beautiful city. I don't know whether you've been there. I was there once many years ago, but it's a it's a spectacular city. It's beautiful, but they're about as far left as you can get, and um, the influence of the liberal left is almost always detrimental and destructive. So it probably shouldn't be a surprise that Seattle would rank number one in America concerning the necessary treatment of mental health issues. By the way, in the Christian community, we've got to get rid of the stigma of people dealing with mental health issues. Ah, it's a topic for another day, and we've dealt with that many times before, and we will again.